right, so second time being up here. Um, I just want to apologize uh, if you were confused tonight. I had no idea this was happening, and I don't know whether to be embarrassed, honored, uh, tickled. I, like, I don't know what response I should have for the fact that uh, there are a bunch of girls with beards in the room. I don't, guys, I apologize, I guess. Uh, but, but no, thanks for doing that. Are y'all, uh, y'all doing good tonight? Who's, who's ready for some Halloween fun this weekend? All right, four of you are middle schoolers. That's great. Uh, why aren't you all excited? This is, who's dressing up for Halloween? Can we, there. Okay, so we do have, we do still have fun. Who dressed up as me for Halloween? Okay, that, you shouldn't, you should have said nothing. That should not be your Halloween. You will scare people, okay? Don't do that. Do not do that. But no, I'm very glad you are here, especially if it's your first time. I am actually Matt. I don't know what all the other people are, but I'm, I get to leave this thing, the pastor C12. Really glad you're here, uh, this college-age, young 20-something season of life. And what we've been talking about the last few weeks in this series called Foundations is how you can actually have a firm footing in your faith. And the idea would be that over the last month or so, two months here at the church, we've had many opportunities for people to begin a relationship, begin a journey, begin a walk with Jesus. But in order to actually do that well, you have to have a solid footing. You've got to know what in the world this looks like. And have a firm foundation. So we've talked about worship. We've talked about serving. And last week we talked about reading the Bible. And the whole idea was maybe you've never had a thirst for reading the Bible. Maybe you didn't know how to read the Bible. But we are actually going to start going after this. So one of the ways I said it's an easy tool to read the Bible is the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament has 31 chapters. And typically there are 31 days in a month. So during the month of November... We're going to be posting something about each chapter every single day to our social media. So it's a great opportunity to follow. I don't know if you did follow when they were doing all this stuff, but we want you to follow us, follow along, get this foundation in place. Now tonight we're going to finish it out by talking about something practical that all of you hopefully have experienced at some point in your life. Whether or not you're aware of it, whether or not you do it well, tonight we're going to talk about prayer. So how many, let's have some fun, how many of you have ever prayed before? Okay, almost, if not every single person in this place. How many of you still pray prayers like you're six years old? There it is, yes, right? We sing them at like dinner time and stuff like that. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Because what I want you to understand tonight, the primary thing going forward about prayer are these two points. The first one is this. Prayer is not, hang on, don't put it up there. Okay, good. What I want you to understand first is what prayer is not, okay? Prayer is not a magic genie in a lamp. Prayer's not Aladdin, like you don't get this and Robin Williams pops out, okay? Prayer's not a magic genie in a lamp. And what I mean is this, it's not a lottery ticket. Because a lot of times we can easily approach prayer like it is a genie in a lamp. We want something, something happens in our world, and as a result of that, we start praying that God would give us what we want. God, come through, I need you right now, do this. Or I really want this. Or she needs to like me back. Or the Mets need to win the world, that's never going to happen. But the Braves need to win the world, that's... Never going to happen either. Um, Crap. But this is what we do. We treat it like whenever we want something, we start asking God to give us what we want. But really what we're doing is treating prayer like it's a lottery ticket. So I don't know how many of you ever played the lottery before, but I can guarantee you that when you went and bought that $1 ticket for a $280 million Powerball, you knew you weren't going to win. And yet you still approached it because it was something that you wanted to do. And sometimes in prayer, you can approach God in prayer because it's something that you want to do. But you never expect Him to come through. 
you never expect him to answer. You never expect there to be a miracle on the other side of it. And so you can't treat prayer like it's a genie in the lamp. Prayer is not a genie in the lamp. Prayer are these two things. Prayer is first, a conversation. Prayer is a conversation. So what I want you to understand first, that prayer is a conversation. So let's have a conversation. I need a, I need a volunteer that does not have a beard. Sweet mercy. Okay. Let's, let's do this. Esther. Esther, come, 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 come. You actually are wearing someone of a similar shirt, so that works. Come on, come on, Esther. Everyone give it up for Esther. <laughs> Esther, you cut, did you cut your hair? I noticed, because I'm such an awesome guy. Um, take notes. Don't give me that face. So here's what we're going to do. Me and Esther are going to have a conversation. Um, and she's got about as much sass as anybody in the room. This is going to be wonderful for me. Uh, we're going to have a conversation, simple back and forth, in front of everybody, okay? So can you, you need to be able to speak up so they can hear you, okay? Okay. Okay, that's, that's too loud. Calm, okay. calm down. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a conversation. I want you to listen in and to what a conversation looks like, okay? So starts off sometimes with a question, right? And this is not like if you're wondering, like, okay, take notes on how to date. No. Start with a question, but we're just talking conversation. So Esther, what is the one thing in the world that you want right now that you want the most? Because see, for me, this is, what, this is what I mean. So for me, the one thing that I want the most right now in life, right now, is I'm going to Pigeon Forge this weekend up in Tennessee, up to the mountains. And what I really want is, all of, is to see all the colors. It's fall. I love the colors in the trees. That's the most basic white girl thing I could say tonight. But listen, it's true. I love seeing that. And, 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 and that is what I really want the most, is to see, is to go to Pigeon Forge and see all the colors and be there for three days with my family. It's going to be incredible. That's what I want. So... So when I say, what do you want, that's really what I mean. But, but the reason why, hang on, the reason why I want that the most is because I was born in Asheville in North Carolina, like up in the mountains, so I'm used to that. And something like comes alive, and no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I want. Something comes alive inside of me whenever I'm in the mountains, and then there's the trees, and it's the fall, and the weather's perfect, and all the colors, and like it's just, it's beautiful, and that's what I want the most. So that's, that's what I mean of what do you want the most, right? Isn't that awesome? That's so good. Y'all give it up for Esther. Great job, Esther. No, that was our conversation. You're do you, done. Do you care what I have to You're done. You can, you can go sit down now. What was it? Yeah. Give it up for Esther. She was awesome. Thanks, Esther. That was wonderful. Now, if we can be real honest, was that a conversation? But that's what we do in prayer all the time. See what I did there? You like that? See, a conversation goes two ways. A conversation has talking and listening. And a lot of times in prayer, whenever we treat it like it's a genie in a lamp, we just sit there and we spew off everything we can. We vomit all of our emotions in our prayer towards God. And then we never sit and listen. And so prayer is a conversation. And the reason why it's a conversation is because God invites us into that. He wants to intimately know us and have a relationship with us. So prayer is a conversation but prayer is also an invitation. That's the second thing I want you to know. And those are the two primary themes we're going to talk about tonight. Prayer is a conversation, and prayer is an invitation. And as we go through the conversation of prayer, what we're really going to do is, is focus on the way we've done the last few weeks. We're going to talk about what prayer is, talk about why we pray, we're going to talk about how you pray. And so we've just learned what prayer is. Prayer is talking with God. It's a conversation. And it's also an invitation. 
from the creator of the universe, from your heavenly father, the person that created and fashioned and formed and molded you, the person that knows you best. It's an invitation into a relationship, into a conversation with him. Now, because prayer is an invitation, then let's talk about why do we pray? So if that's what prayer is, then why do we pray? Why should you pray? Well, because it's an invitation. We should pray because it's an invitation from the all-powerful, sovereign creator God through whom anything can happen. And he invites us into an intimate relationship. And unless we understand the value and the treasure of what that actually means, we're never going to get it right. We're always going to miss what prayer actually is. And a lot of it has to do with what it, how you view God. So I just said that you can have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe with your heavenly father, the person that formed and folded and, and, and completely fashioned you in the womb, the person who knows you best. When I say that, it's because that's what I believe about God, that anything's possible with him, and that he's ultimately working everything out for good, that he's sovereign, that nothing takes him by surprise. These are the things that I believe about God, and so it shapes the way I approach him in prayer. A.W. Tozer says, whatever comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So when you think about God, what comes to your mind? Do you think of him as inviting? Do you think of him as welcoming? Do you think of him as a father with his arms open wanting to have a relationship with his child? Because that's the proper context of who God is. The Bible tells us God is love and he loves you. Unless you understand that, you're never going to approach him in the same way in prayer. For me, God is my sustenance. Because of the life I've gone through, the stories I have, the season of life I experienced when I was in your shoes and the ridiculous calamity of, uh, I'm going to say this, immature emotions that I was, I know that I need God. I know that I need him. I know he's my sustenance. I know... <clears throat> that my love, my joy, and my peace can only come from Him. And really what I know is that I'm desperate for Him. I'm desperate for Him because the Bible tells me that He is where I find my rest. He is my portion. He's my joy. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually tells us, Come to me, all who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. So Jesus is saying in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. He's the one who provides for me, so I want as much of him as possible. How much of God do you want? Frame up who God is in your mind. How much of him do you want? What is it that you believe about him? Because that will shape the way that you pray. See, prayer right-sizes our mind. It settles our hearts, and it dismantles our anxieties. Prayer positions God as God and helps you realize that you're not God. Prayer positions God and makes God actually Him and makes Him God in your heart, in your mind, in your head. And it makes you in the proper position of not being God. Understanding you're not in control, understanding you need Him, understanding there's a desperation. And this happens in any way that you pray. There's so a lot of different ways that you can pray. You can pray with thanksgiving, telling God how thankful you are. You can pray God with pray, or you can pray to him with praise. 
thankful for the things he's given you, thankful for who he is. You can pray to him. Um, you can pray to him in repentance. You can pray in intercession for somebody else. You can pray through questions and questioning. You can pray through confession. And through all of these ways, what you're really doing is if you approach him with the understanding of, God, I need you, then it completely changes the way in which you go after prayer. See, and here's the biggest reason why it matters what you think about God. Because if you believe that God is God, that he is the highest, that he is the almighty, that he is the one up here, and he is the one in control, then you're going to approach prayer not in a way of trying to get God onto your agenda, but you trying to get on his. See, prayer is not about you trying to get God onto your agenda. It's about you getting on God's agenda. Because if I believe that he's in control and he is and he's over all, and he is the highest, then that would mean that he's perfect, and that he knows what's best. Because if he's perfect, he has to know what's best. And that means I can trust him. And if you can trust him, then what you want to do is you want to be on what he wants to do. You want to be on his agenda, not constantly trying to get him onto yours. Not treating him like a genie in a lamp, but understanding it's an invitation to a conversation. Allowing him to fashion you form you, to mold you, to give you, implant inside of you the desires of your heart. It all matters what you think about God. And so why do we pray? We pray because the creator of the universe, because God invites us into a conversation. It's freely available for you. And there's no prerequisite. <clears throat> now maybe some of you think there is a prerequisite to prayer. Maybe some of you think that, well, Matt, that's great. I get what prayer is now, I understand why I should pray, because God invites me to it and because I have this ability to have a relationship with him, but I really don't know how to pray. Maybe, maybe you get caught up in the words. Maybe, maybe you're embarrassed to pray. Maybe you think I'm not spiritual enough to pray. Maybe you think I don't have that relationship or I don't have the right vernacular. I don't know the words to say. And so maybe, just maybe, You've been in an experience of prayer. You've had an experience of prayer that's left you feeling a little bit like, I don't really know that I want to do that. And maybe for some of you, the way you've experienced prayer actually looks a little bit like this. Take a look. I remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church. And I walk in, and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know what to You want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't going to do that. Right? Then they explained to me, right? Your neighbor is the person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't know. I didn't even know you were supposed to pray out loud, let alone this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rock. I'm thinking, man, she even knows nicknames. 
Now it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just, but I'm not gonna let her out pray. So I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people. You know, you are good, Lord. You are good. You are good to the last drop, Lord. Because, um, Lord, I just got to obey my thirst, Lord. You know, because choose your mom, choose Jesus. So, because, you know, as you know, the rockets ran clear, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I can fly, amen. <laughs> Now, if you ask me, that's hilarious. Has anyone ever, ever felt like that? You're like, I don't know who this, I don't, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this. How many of you are terrified to pray out loud? Can we just love the honesty? Thank you. That's good. Okay. Well, now we're going to have a practice where you're going to, I'm just playing. We're not going to make you do that. I actually have a friend who every single time he prays, like, asks the blessing over food. He'll say, you know, God, thank you for this and this and this. And would you make it extra tasty? In Jesus' name, amen. Like, he just wants to say whatever it is to make sure his food tastes good. I like that. That's okay. Or maybe for some of you, you're like, if we can just call it what it is, you're kind of like a three-year-old son who sings his prayer, right? God, our Father, God, our Father, we thank you, we thank you for our many blessings, for our many blessings. Amen. Amen. Right? Anyone, anyone still sing a prayer or, or have the same? Yeah, man, I see you back there. You better not be tone deaf. That's all I got to say because he ain't going to hear it if you're tone deaf. Okay. Now, some of you in this room may have only experienced the fullness of prayer to that extent. The extent like he just did or like I just unfortunately sang. And what I want you to know is there's a lot more to prayer than that. There's a lot more to prayer than Sunday school prayer. There's a lot more to prayer than elementary school prayer. There is a depth, a maturity, an invitation into the fullness of prayer that you can have. And what I want you to know, here's the deal. It has nothing to do with how pretty, how deep, or how spiritual your words are. It has nothing to do with your language, your vernacular. It doesn't matter in terms of understanding the fullness of prayer, unlocking that. It has nothing to do with your language. It has everything to do with one short, simple sentence. One short request. Here it is. Holy Spirit, help me pray. Holy Spirit, would you pray for me? Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do. I'm going to need you to lead this one. That's it. You want to unlock prayer and understand how to do it really well? Holy Spirit, would you pray for me? Done. Now, why in the world would I say that? Well, because the Bible tells us that's exactly how we should go into prayer. In Romans chapter 8, you can read it on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27, he says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So how many of you feel like prayer is a weakness? All right, here you go. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts, God, who knows the mind of the Spirit, God searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So you may not have any idea what to pray or how to pray or where to even start. But what you do is you start, you say, Holy Spirit, would you, would you pray for me? That's all I got to do. And every single one of you in this room can do that. And the moment you do that, you start to unlock this element of prayer, of allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede for you. 
Understanding has nothing to do with your language and your vocabulary. You don't have to be pastoral, and you don't have to feel like you went to university for this. There's, there's no prerequisite. Just ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. And as you do that, He will help, and He'll lead your conversations to God. But again, remember, it's a conversation. So you can't pull a me and Esther, right? You have to talk, but you can't just talk. You also have to listen. And when you listen in prayer, it requires of you something that is highly uncomfortable. Something that I would imagine none of us actually enjoy. Silence. Pure, complete silence. Stillness. Patience and waiting. So, if you're listening to this on the podcast... Um, no, over the next minute, your podcast is not broken. You can do this with us no matter where you are. Because all of us in the room, we're going to practice that uncomfortable silence. And I want you to experience what happens to you whenever we do it. So for the next minute, the next 60 seconds, we're all going to be silent. I just, I want you, you can close your eyes if you want to. I just want you to sit there. I want you to breathe. Let the ripples that happen in your mind start to still. And we're going to sit in silence for 60 seconds. Pure silence. How many of you just felt uncomfortable? <clears throat> I did. How many of you enjoy silence? Y'all are freaking lying. How about this? How many of you just felt tempted to look at your phone? How many of you just felt tempted to start talking to somebody else? How many of you wanted to stir, wanted to do something, and you, you needed distraction? See, I think this happens because we're so overly sensitized. We're entertained every five seconds. And it's very hard for us to just... You're like a, you're like a glass of water, right? You're, your life is like a glass of water. And every single time you see something or you do something or your mind goes somewhere, or you start trailing on thoughts or you have something to do next or anxieties build up, Every single time one of those happen in your world, it's like another drop of water in your cup. And every time you drop a, 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 anything of water or of liquid into a cup of water, what happens? Ripples. There's movement. There's, your mind is moving and you can't just settle. And it's uncomfortable. I personally don't enjoy silence. 
It's something that I have to work on. I found this out when I was in college. <clears throat> My sophomore year in college, I was going through this season where I really was wanting to just understand more of God. He was working on me in a pretty big way, and I was trying to learn more of him, so I wanted to hear from him. And I was like, well, in the Bible, what happens all the time is they go out to the wilderness, and then God like speaks to him in this crazy way. So I guess I got to go camping. Okay? Now, I've never been camping in my life up to this point. Okay, I'm going to start laying out everything. I've never been camping in my life up to this point, but I was like, I guess i got to go to the woods. All right, let's go to the woods. And so I packed up my tent, and I got in my car, and I drove up from, from Athens up to Helen to Raven Cliffs, the spot I'd heard my friends talk about camping at before. And so I go there by myself, okay? Yeah, dumb. By myself, I get to Raven Cliffs. I, dro like, I drove... I drove a Ford Taurus, like, you shouldn't be driving, like, off-road stuff in a Ford Taurus, but I did, and I'm sure that everyone in their little SUVs was judging me hardcore, but it's fine. So I'm driving my little Taurus on the trail, I'm going to where I was supposed to be. I get there, I get my stuff out, I have my flashlight, and I'm going down, like, getting ready, I got my stuff, I'm ready to go set up my tent, and I'm going to stay in the woods for the night, in, in the silence, get to the wilderness, hear from God. Okay, so I get down there, and then I get my flashlight out. Because idiot right here didn't realize I may need to put a tent up before it gets dark. So it's 8 p.m. around this time of the year, and I get there, and I'm like, well, I can't see anything. All right, let's set up a tent. So I start setting up my tent. Also a big problem is that the only tent I had was an eight-person tent. So I had an apartment in the woods all by myself, okay? And I'm in the middle of, I don't even know where, in Raven Cliffs up in Helen, Georgia, I have my eight-person tent out with my kitchen over here and my bedroom over here and all this space. And I got my Bible, I got my journal, I got the book I was reading, and I got a bag of goldfish because I don't know how else you're going to survive as a college student. And I'm in this, in this tent, and I start praying, and I'm in the moment, and I'm like, all right, this is great. And then I'm like, now I'm just going to try to be still and just listen for God. This was at 8.30. When I woke up at 11.30 p.m. because I fell asleep, which happens, I realized, oh crap, I'm in the middle of the woods, and it's really dark, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I've never done this before, and I'm all alone, and some bear's going to come eat me. Like, this is what's going through my head, right, as I'm sitting in the silence, totally uncomfortable. So I was like, all right, well, let me get my flashlight, and so I walked out of my tent, and I packed my tent up, and I got back in my car, and I drove to Athens. I'm not even playing. I lasted three hours. I'm like, the beard is total facade. I am not a mountain man, all right? Now, the reason why this happened to me when I was 20 years old is because I don't like silence. I don't like being alone. I got FOMO so bad. Can anybody agree? I just, who thinks I just cussed them out? Does anyone, does everyone know what FOMO means? Okay, good, because I got a little scared there when you didn't reply. I have a huge fear of missing out, and I love being around people. So I'm by myself in this moment, quiet, silent, trying to listen from God, losing my mind. So what do I do? I bail. And on the drive home, I start to, like, validate to myself. I'm like, I don't have to be in the woods to listen to God. I can do it in my car. Like, no, you, you got scared, Matt. You failed. You're not, you're, you're less of a man now because you couldn't do this, Right? And then I tell all my friends about it, and they're like, you're an idiot for even thinking you'd go out there by yourself. Now, the world doesn't make it easy for you. It's not just in the woods and in the wilderness. 
And it's not just the fact that if I pull out my phone, we can watch ESPN right now. Y'all want to watch Thursday Night Football? We can do it on my phone right now. We can always be entertained. Every five seconds, we can be engaged in something. Something can catch our attention. It's very hard to just get quiet. We know this also through science. Bernie Krause is a guy that records nature sounds. And Bernie Krause, he records sounds in nature and tries to just capture it in audio. In 1968, to get one hour of undisturbed natural sound, no sirens, no cars, no talking, no phones, nothing. No birds, nothing. Undisturbed natural sound. To get one hour, it took him 15 hours of recording to get one hour. Today, that same one hour of undisturbed natural sound takes 2,000 hours of recording time. We've become so overwhelmingly attracted and attached and sensitized to stuff going on in our world that it can absolutely overwhelm us. But a minute ago, we just read Matthew 11. This is where I have the trouble in it. But Jesus says, come to me all who are burdened and weary and I will give you rest. So here's my question to you. Have you spent the same amount of time worrying and talking about your difficult situations as you have in silence listening to what God might actually have to say? How much time do you sit in silence and just listen? Talking is much easier than listening. But in order to have conversation, you have to learn to listen. You have to learn how God speaks. And he doesn't speak through huge, booming crashes of lightning, regardless of whatever you may think. The Bible tells us a story in 1 Kings 19 of a guy named Elijah. He's a prophet, and he wants to hear from God. He's desperate. He needs conversation with God. And so Elijah gets a word from God. All right, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to show up. So go up to the cave of this mountain and go out to the edge of it, and I'm about to come by. So get ready. And as Elijah's standing there, a wind falls over the mountain and completely shakes everything. Rocks are tumbling down because of this whirlwind that comes in the mountain. But, uh, but it says that God's not in the wind. And then after the wind, an earthquake hits and shakes the mountain. And I'm sure Elijah's freaking out, waiting like, oh, that's got to be God. But the Bible says God's not in the earthquake. And then a fire falls on the mountain. And the Bible says God's not in the fire. And after all the calamity and all the chaos, all the distraction, it said there was a small, still whisper. And that was God's voice. Speaking to Elijah, saying, I'm here. See, Elijah had to get all the distractions out of his world in order to actually hear the voice of God. So God invites you into a conversation with him. But in order to actually pray, how do you pray? You pray by talking and by listening. And sometimes by sitting in silence. Getting rid of the distractions and allowing yourself to hear from God. So what are the distractions in your life that are keeping you from hearing God's voice? What are they? Is it a person? A boy or a girl? Is it a schedule? Is it music? Maybe you always got to have Spotify on. Is it simply discipline? Is it sleep? What's the distraction that's keeping you from hearing the voice of God? And then the main question I give you to end, does your life 
and schedule look like somebody who actually wants to hear from God? Do you want to treat God like he's a genie in a lamp? Or do you want to actually have a conversation, an intimate relationship? Because that's what he desires for you. So does your life and your schedule actually look like somebody who wants to hear from God? He has everything that you need. And the beautiful part about it is that we have the opportunity to have a conversation with him. That through the work and the grace of Jesus, we can approach him freely. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And we can hear everything we need from God. We can pray as big as we want. Your biggest prayer is tiny to God. And he wants to know all your details. He wants to know all your drama. He wants to know all your anxiety. Because none of it ever took him by surprise. None of it ever happened outside of his hands. Something happened in your world. It didn't happen out here and God went, oh. Whew, I did not see that coming. Um, hmm, I don't know what to do. He's never done that. He's never been taken by surprise. So you can trust him. You can engage him. And there's a promise in the book of James. James 4.8 says this. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So, what distractions do you need to get rid of to draw near to God? Because if you're actually desperate for him, you would do it. If you actually think that you need him, you'd do it. What's keeping you from the Father? What's keeping you from maturity? What's keeping you from a firm foundation? prayer. So tonight, I want us to go into a time of reflection and prayer. We like to give you a, an opportunity to kind of practice what you learn. Because see, prayer is, is an opportunity to have communion with God. In my personal opinion, the two most intimate times you ever have with God in your life are prayer and sex. And I think all of you would value sex pretty highly. I value prayer the exact same. It's an intimate encounter with the Father. So what we want to do is give you a chance to actually practice that. The man's going to come up in a second. They're going to kind of lead us through. But before we do that, we're going to have another moment of, of just quiet silence. And then tonight what we want to do is give you a chance to remember the work of Jesus, the fact that you can do this. And we're going to do that through communion. So we're going to have communion. And the way this is going to happen is there are two tables in the back. And there's a table up here. And they have the bread there and they have the drink. But let me explain what communion is first. Communion is something that we get to do in remembrance of the work of Jesus. And it's only for those of you that have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So if you've come into this place tonight and you're like, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Everything you're talking about with prayer, the intimate knowledge of him and, and the invitation to him, I've never accepted that. I don't know him. I don't follow him. I haven't given my life to him. He hasn't saved me. If that's, not, if that's you, you don't have that relationship, then this isn't for you. But what I would encourage you to do is to come find me. Because it's as simple as a prayer, asking God to do that. And I would love to lead you through that. So as we go into the next few moments, I'm going to be on the side. Come find me. Let's talk. Well, but for let's all of you that have already made that decision, Jesus has already said, you're mine. And you follow him. You've given him your life then this is your opportunity to remember his work, the grace that he offered, the sacrifice that he made, the perfect life that he let's lived, go. the death let's that go, he let's offered, go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. that he did not deserve, and now the life that he offered. That's not me. So when we take communion, what we do is we take the bread, 
We're here and we're listening. We're waiting. God be glorified in Jesus' name.